Welcome to the Brief Premium podcast. You join us as we've just finished our first Brief Premium breakfast briefings. Today's subject was artificial intelligence. And on the high-powered and extremely intelligent panel was Lord Clement Jones, the chairman of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on AI, who is also a very senior player at the global law firm DLA Piper. Joining him was Emily Foge, the chief executive of Luminance, Jan van Hoek, the vice president of AI engineering and founder of Raven Systems, Isabel Parker, the global head of legal services innovation at Freshfields Brookhouse Derringer, the Magic Circle law firm, and the whole shooting match was chaired by Richard Tromans, the editor of Artificial Lawyer, who is also our consultant editor on the forthcoming brief premium special report on artificial intelligence. With us for the podcast are Richard Tromans, Isabel Parker, and Emily Foges. One of the main themes coming out of the uh, session today was the impact on jobs, potentially, of artificial intelligence. I mean, this is something that will be very high in the minds of many people who are working at law firms at all sorts of levels, not least the worker bee level, as I've described it. Some people suggest that artificial intelligence could result in swathes of redundancies amongst paralegals and maybe even associates. Others say that artificial intelligence is going to create, first of all, going to free people, free lawyers to do different types of more interesting work. And that, in fact, it will, far from reducing jobs, will potentially create jobs. Richard, as our resident expert, which way do you go on that? Um, The key point is that process level work, work which was never really part of the legal profession, um, that will go eventually. That, I think that is without question. And just, example, and just sorry to interrupt, just 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 for the sake of the uh, uh, of some maybe some of the novices listening to us, but how do you define process work at a law firm? Well, process work is where you're effectively doing a mechanical task. You're using your cognitive skills, reading. Um, to do work that a machine could do very easily. You're not really using judgment. You're simply finding information in a document, for example, and then extracting it, writing it out on an Excel sheet, for example. That really is very basic work, and it's not truly legal work. So the key point is I don't think that skilled lawyers will be replaced, but the people who are supporting them perhaps maybe. Isabel, you're at the coalface at a law firm. Um, is this going to be a boon for uh, for employment, for recruitment? Well, I do think we need to be um, realistic and pragmatic. And if you look at um, the contentious world, I, that's the world of sort of arbitration and litigation. They've had this kind of technology for many, many years. Um, and in the old days, you'd have armies of paralegals looking through huge doc- multi-million document sets. Now, those days have gone, and you can only assume that the transactional world will follow suit. That said, um, I think that the role of the lawyer will just change. We'll always need lawyers. They'll need to be more rich in relationships, devoting more time to their clients, doing more high quality work, nuanced drafting and sophisticated negotiation. Um, I don't see that being replaced anytime soon. Uh, that raises an interesting point. Maybe, Emily, you could uh, deal with this. You, you point out that um, in some areas that uh, you know, artificial intelligence or, or, or um, uh, 
machine learning has, 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 has already been playing a part for some time. I mean, is, you know, is artificial intelligence, as you, you're someone who is uh, very much promoting artificial intelligence, is it, you know, is it such a big deal? I mean, have no, I mean we've had e-disclosure, e we've had um, predictive coding. I mean, is, this, is artificial intelligence anything especially new or is it just a different, uh, you know, is it just a sort of uh, slightly more entertaining name for something that's been evolving for some time? I think it. I think it's the latter, actually. I think you know the bar gets raised all the time. You know what is artificial intelligence? Um, typically, as you know, somebody said just now, very eloquently, it's you know the thing that hasn't isn't quite working yet is typically how people define it. Um, and if you look at something like Excel, you know if you were to say to someone thirty years ago, here's a machine that's going to do all your calculations for you. If you're an accountant, they might think that's artificial intelligence. And we don't look at it that way anymore. So I think this will become something that you know, as people get comfortable with it, they'll just see it as something that helps them a product that is very useful and that supercharges them and makes them better at what they do because it deals with those problems, you know, those problems which at the moment are very often being dealt with by armies of highly trained young lawyers doing repetitive, boring work. Um, and that is that is a problem. It's a problem for the profession and it's a problem for the clients who are actually having to pay more and more for those huge volumes of documentations to be dealt with. Um, Isabel, back to you. Which client sector, what, what, which clients uh, are keenest? Uh, I mean, presumably there are some sectors that are a bit more switched on and uh, others where they look at you a bit cross-eyed or, or maybe I'm oversimplifying as usual, but uh, you know, are, there, are, there, are there client sectors that are keener and more uh, open to adapting uh, these suggestions? Um, it's difficult to segment it entirely by sector group, mm. I would say, although the financial institutions and, and, and the uh, any highly regulated industry is very interested in investing in this kind of technology. They often have very large internal investigations um, which can't be run efficiently if you don't invest in some kind of technology. But I would say we're seeing this across the board, across our client base, because all clients, regardless of the sector in which they operate, are interested in value and that's what this can offer to them. Richard, uh, an interesting point that came out of uh, the event we've just had earlier this morning is the relationship between in-house lawyers and their external legal providers, illegal legal advisors. Should, should in-house be looking at this? And maybe should in-house be looking at it more uh, than, than their external legal advisors? Is this something that is better suited for in-house legal departments or is it a mix? It's definitely a mix. And also, I think we should take into consideration the fact that legal AI systems are being used by non-lawyers inside the corporates. So, for example, the uh, uh, compliance departments or the um, sales department, procurement department, they're using AI in some cases to analyze contracts which other parts of the business um, have made. And they're using AI to read through the contracts very quickly and to check them off against their own playbook. And only if there's a real issue does it then go to the in-house team. So really the the use cases are multiple. We shouldn't really just think about this as just something that law firms would use. And indeed, something we didn't Unfortunately, we ran out of time earlier this morning to look at. Um, uh, there was only passing reference to the bar. I mean, obviously, this is still a split profession, uh, although that those distinctions are gradually becoming more blurred. But um, is there is there any scope for, uh, for for artificial intelligence at Chambers? Absolutely, and, and several barristers have, have asked me about this. Um, one of the key things that barristers have to do is deal with huge amounts of case information, huge amounts of files. Um, often the information inside them it may be buried, the important information is buried, and AI tools could certainly help them there. Emily, 
one imagines, uh, and I may be getting completely the wrong end of the stick here, that uh, as with you know any relatively new technology, there's always going to be a, a cost, a significant cost implication at, at the beginning before things, um, you know, before. For example, you know, mobile phones were, were a lot more. Well, I don't know. Maybe mobile phones these days are more expensive than they used to be. Hmm. But, um, but, but one wonders. I mean, you know, law firms, city law firms, uh, you know, the, the top twenty, the top fifty, even the top one hundred law firms, you can see having the resource to invest here. Chambers. I mean, what's what's your view about chambers? Because it's always difficult to get um, barrister chambers, even the even the, uh, the, the, the at the at the top end of the commercial bar, to fork out to invest yeah. in in infrastructure. I mean, how, what's your view on on, on the market at the bar? So I think I think that's, there's a real change in the technology in the last couple of years, which is that it's no longer a big investment of time and money to get started with the technology. Um, I mean, it is a little bit like the you know, the evolution of phones. You know, you've, you've got to the point now where a phone is no longer a phone. It's a, it's a very powerful computer, and actually you don't need any training to learn how to use it, and anyone can have one. Um, and I think the same will be true for all of this technology and is increasingly the case. I mean, we have, um, we have clients who are big law firms who have have teams, you know, as, as, as Freshfields do, teams of people who are devoted to finding the technology, implementing the technology, training people in using the technology, and even training the technology. We also have clients who are very small law firms of, you know, a few people who want to adopt technology without any of those resources, and they can now. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's more, they can use that technology to grow their businesses much faster than a conventional law firm, and they have the aspirations to really be the law firms of the future as a result. So it's turning the market on its head in that way. And if I could just add to that, I think people shouldn't think this is only something that the you know, magic circle can play in. We see a lot of vendors coming to us with a fantastic back-end engine, but no legal domain knowledge. They need access to data, they need access to contracts and your legal expertise. And there's there's lots of models out there for partnership and um, that will enable you to access the market in the way that you, you couldn't have in the past. I mean, that does lead us on as well to the um, perhaps slightly delicate point around the internal issues and inter, you know, the fear factor. Uh, law firms, uh, it's not just chambers that are either stereotypically or actually uh, slightly conservative and re- resistant to adopting technology. Some, you know, no matter how advanced and how, uh, how uh, open to new ideas law firms are, there's always going to be some uh, relatively senior partners who are very, uh, um, you know, have their have their feet in uh, stuck in clay. Arguably, I mean, am I making a, uh, am I applying a stereotype that is not actually real, or um, do you have trouble sometimes with partners? And how do you get how do you get round uh, selling, you know, selling them an idea that uh, where they the initial reaction is to make a lot of robot jokes, presumably? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, I'd be lying if I said it was always easy. Um, but there's an acceptance now at Freshfields, and I'm sure in many other firms, that this is a strategic imperative. It just cannot be ignored. And one way to really uh, influence partners' minds, even if they're of a generation that don't quite necessarily intuitively get it, is through our clients. And the more our clients are saying, you need to invest in this technology, tell us what you're doing, the more our, our partners will listen. So that's really the way to push the change through the organisation. I mean, Richard, how do you, I mean, you speak to a lot of people in, from your position as a as an independent consultant. I mean, what's your view of, of you know, acceptance within the profession? I mean, is it, is, it, is it that sort of, you know, the younger you are, the more likely you are? Or the- <coughs> um, not necessarily. I, it, it's come very far, very fast. Um, it's also happening, strangely, at exactly the same time as it's needed. For example, if you look at some of the larger commercial law firms, they have created um, outsourcing centres or offshore centres, places like Belfast and wherever, Mm -hmm. to handle process work. That work is still under price pressure. 
um, clients are demanding fixed fees. And AI has almost arrived, you know, coming over the mountain, um, you know, like the Seventh Cavalry, right at the right moment, because they can address these issues. So it's, it is something that is almost systemic. It's running through the entire industry. The clients want to do it. It's a, provided a great solution for the law firms. And, and this will just continue. It's going to work its way through the system. Uh, I imagine that probably in four or five years, every significant commercial law firm will be using AI in some way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And for our own example, we, we have a services centre in Manchester, which is highly efficient and sort of process oriented. But we soon re recognise that absent technology, you can't really read a document any faster than the person back at base. So we had to leverage technology to make sure we could really drive efficiency through that centre. Yeah. I mean, one of the points, again, that came out this morning uh, is that while, you know, it's all well and good you know, taking a headlong dive and, and, and being very enthusiastic about new technology and, uh, you know, suggestions that it will free up lawyer time and lawyers can start doing the things that, you know, make them make them give them more job satisfaction. But there it was raised today that there are some ethical considerations that need to be um, uh, looked at. Uh, Richard, again, back to you. I mean, is you know, are we in a position where the, the law is a very, um, well, you know, well, we've talked about it being, you know, process-driven process, uh, process elements around it, but mm. the law is still a very human thing and it, 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 it regulates human behavior. Mm. And are we in danger of handing over analysis about uh, the law that will affect people's lives to a machine? Is there, are there dangers in there? Perhaps in the future. At the moment, no. The, the, uh, the types of AI that we're using now are very narrow. They're mainly for analysis and extraction of information, which speeds up you know, a lawyer's role. Um, they are not at the point of making judgments. Um, they are not at the point of making decisions. The final arbiter is still the partner in charge of that particular work project. So I don't see it as a big risk yet. However, in the future, as AI becomes more complicated and we start adding more decision-making attributes to these systems, we may enter some interesting ethical territory um, be interested to see what Freshfield thinks of this because you are on the, on the sharp end of this. Well, indeed, Freshfield, I'll back, back over to you as well. I mean, did you ever have at, at, at AI meetings at the firm uh, on your agenda, uh, let's look at the ethics here, you know, the ethical points around what we're about to do here? I don't think the ethical question really comes into AI in the way that we're using it in, in Freshfields. But, but uh, if we're talking more in a sort of criminal law context, um, I do think that we sometimes overplay, um, and I'm sure this won't necessarily be a popular view, and this is my personal view I should emphasise, but we overplay the, the, the reliance that we place on human judgment. In my former life, I sat as a magistrate, and all criminal cases start in the magistrate's court, as you know, and um, in order to sort of decide on a bail application or to decide on, on whether you send something to a higher court, you follow us a process, a simple process, which I could see could easily be reduced to an algorithm. Um, it's just a process step like any other. And you could even take that further. I could see testing the credibility of the witness um, through devices placed under their skin to monitor their heart rate, uh, the, their voice levels, their sentiment. Why not apply something that takes the bias um, out of the equation um, to, 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 to verify whether somebody is telling the truth or, or not? So I, I don't think human judgment is always without question. 
Emily, over to you really for the last, and I, I, I'm afraid to put you on the spot here for one of the the, 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 the more difficult and probably impossible questions to answer. But uh, as Richard pointed out in the, uh, in the session this morning that uh, while it seems uh, a generation ago when uh, we first started hearing about uh, AI, it is in fact really within the last two years that yeah. it's, uh, or maybe perhaps even less, that it's, uh, that it's really come onto the legal scene. Where are we in five years' time? Or can you even possibly envisage that far ahead? So um, I would have said even in two years' time, we'll no longer be having the debate. It'll just be completely normal. Um, the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning um, in legal technology will just be necessary. I mean, it is necessary now. There is a fear factor. And I think some of the products on the market are designed in such a way that they are a little bit of a black box. Yeah, you do have to sort of, you know, hand over a bit of responsibility and sort of you know and take a sort of you know, calculated risk on that but i think that's poor design in the technology actually you know the technology needs to be at a stage where actually you can see what you're doing you're not handing over responsibility you're not taking that risk it's just helping you to get there faster and i think we're, you know, we're at that point now and in the next couple of years there'll be acceptance across the profession that it's just necessary to work this way well, thank you very much to all of you. And as someone who is grateful for any form of intelligence, and uh, not least if it manages to spark in my own brain, uh, I, uh, I'm grateful for your time. Thank you again to Richard Shromans, Isabel Parker and Emily Fogers. And thank you for listening.